Aloha, true crime lovers. My name is Haley. And I'm Richa. And yeah, you're listening to Dimes of Crime. Well, what are you drinking, Haley? I'm drinking a Bordeaux. Oh, you're a red wine girl today. Yeah, that's what I had. And I didn't want to drink bourbon, so. Mm. I am actually <laughs> drinking whiskey today. <laughs> oh, uh, love it. <laughs> it looks like we've switched places. Um, I didn't feel like drinking red wine or technically I always feel like drinking red wine. I just didn't really op- wanted to open a whole bottle of wine. Right. If I wasn't going to finish it because, you know, then it gets wasted and whatever. So, yeah, yeah this is actually for- an old bottle that's been sitting in my fridge. So hopefully it's not bad. <laughs> Hey, if Tastes anything, good. it's just vinegar. It'll still cleanse your right. stomach of something, right? Um, yeah. Cool. How Anyways, I wanted to kind of rant a little bit. So if you're not, if you're listening just for the true crime aspect and not because you're invested in Richard and I's life, then go ahead and fast <laughs> forward. But if you're a mom, you're probably going to relate to this. It's just like today has just been one of those really rough days where I'm like, I don't want to be a mom today I'm just super frustrated I'm touched out I it's super hot and all he wants to do is be on top of me and cry in my face and like I just want to like like this morning I woke up early I just try to rest my eyes and I put on the screen and he just was like in my face and I was just like get away from me just leave me alone just leave me alone I just want to be left alone that's all I want oh no and so that was like the whole aspect of all today. Like we went outside and we played and I tried cooking him food and making him all kinds of meals and he just didn't want any of them. So I made multiple meals. Meals. My kitchen is a mess and I just cleaned it. He is in this phase where he just wants to spit water everywhere and I'm just like can not. And then I'm super thirsty for just like water and every time I pour myself a water he has to have it so he like puts his hands in it or drinks all of it and then I got a coconut water from the store today and he drank all my coconut water and I'm just like oh <laughs> I can't I'm over it I was so excited to put you down for bed like I love you but oh, crew and I, I and my friend says my friend said this to me one time it just stuck with me she's like I would die for you but I just really don't want to make you food right now <laughs> and that's how I feel <laughs> that's how I feel that's funny yeah I I relate I haven't had one of those days where I don't want a mom but I do have one of those days where I'm just like I wish someone could get me x y and z in the moment so that I don't have to move do you know what I'm saying like right Oh, Leo needs to, someone needs to go take Leo for a walk. And I just got back from work and, oh, that sounds really exhausting. I wish someone could just take him for like the next hour or two. (laughs) That would be great. That's, yeah. So I relate to it in that aspect. But Leo is finally sleeping back to his like sleeping schedule. I was telling you, Haley, I know I didn't share this on the podcast. He went through sort of some sort of like a sleep regression. And I don't know what was happening with the canines or the molars his his nighttime sleep was still fine but like naps he was protesting a lot yeah and so he finally went back so and i i know this is the first week in a long time where Haley and i did do a back-to-back probably because of me because i am the one who had the headache this time and i was like (laughs) Haley, i can't do it i can't do it tonight i mean i can do it but i don't think it might be like good quality vibing right the episode so yeah tough days are tough yeah, it's just one of those days and oh well, it's good. I'm good now. Now that he's asleep, like I love him to death, but thank God for bedtime. 
It's like Anyways. so bright out. I forgot daylight savings like switched it all up. Yeah, not for us. I mean, we it is what it is for us. <laughs> I'm no sorry. You guys here. can't see it, but like I am sitting. It's like 9.37 p.m. over here. And Haley's sitting in front of me on FaceTime with like bright sun everywhere. And I'm like, what time is it? <laughs> yeah, it's six, almost seven. Oh, my yeah, God. I guess it's the, it's getting later. Anyways uh let's kind of get into it now so disclaimer still apply guys if you're not on headphones oh, yes. put us on headphones now and we might talk about gory shit so you know yep, just be wary. exactly anyway this one is kind of gory too so oh. <laughs> anyways we're gonna i'm just gonna jump into it then on april 2015 a gruesome discovery was made in a remote part of crow indiana reservation indian reservation montana a burned human torso Oh my gosh. Despite despite not having the victim's head and hands, the police were eventually able to identify the body as 38-year-old Jeffrey Christopher Hewitt. As investigators searched for the truth about what had happened to him, it soon became evident this was a love story gone horribly wrong. Uh-oh. Wait, quickly, pause. Um, do you know how they identified him? Like, were they able to get fingerprints or, like, there was no head, so... right. So we're going to kind of go into it a little more, but that was just my intro to the story. Okay, so you really did just throw jump right into burnt body, guys, in a small town. So Haley's back to small yes. town without giving me any heads up on it. And she started off with a burnt body or just torso for now. <laughs> Jeffrey Christopher Hewitt was described as a free spirit who liked to travel all over the country. He was originally from California, where his family still lives. Jeff went to college and was planning to become a medical assistant. But then he switched and went into welding. According to Jeff's mother, Lenora, Jeff really enjoyed his career as a welder. In addition to other projects, he worked on some high rises in San Francisco. Eventually, Jeff got married and had three children. He was so. How old was he when he died? Do we know? Yes, he was thirty-eight years old. Mm, okay. He was said to be an amazing father, always there for his kids, a true family man. But in the end, Jeff and his wife's marriage did not last. He then found himself in New Mexico, where it was not difficult for him to find a job as an experienced welder. But finding love again was not as easily done. Jeff really wanted to have a family to make his life whole. But he just did seem to be able. He just wasn't able to to meet the right person. But then, like many of us do nowadays, Jeff turned to online dating. And at that moment, things begin to happen. Soon enough, Jeff was also. Hey, Haley, do you know what year it is? Maybe I missed it. Like, I know what you're going back in the story, but what year did they find his torso? 2015. Okay, I just wanted to get it in perspective. So it's like eight years. No, yeah, seven years ago. Okay. Anyway, so he um, turned online dating. Soon enough, Jeff was talking with this woman from Montana who also had children. So she already knew what it was like to be a parent, which was a big bonus. I couldn't imagine trying to date, you know, as a single parent. 
sounds hard. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how there would be time or like how I would ever feel like I will trust some stranger to come near my right. child. So props to anyone who takes the plunge and does it like mad respect to all you guys. It's just hard to imagine for me and for Haley who are not really in the shoes. <laughs> Ducks. Yeah, he's on my couch looking out the window. Another sad thing is Stone has a tumor. No. So we have to get a biopsy. Yeah. Where? In his tummy? On his legs. Yeah, kind of like in his groin. Oh, stonies. So we have to go get it biopsied and removed. It's sad. Hopefully it's benign. Yeah. All right. So Jeff turned online dating, right? Okay. He found a woman that had a, had her own children. Mm-hmm. The two clearly had chemistry. Otherwise, they just kind of hit it off and just kept talking with this woman daily for several weeks. Are you, she began seek, to ask, are you like uh, on purpose keeping the name away from all of us? I'm going to say her name in a minute. Okay. She began to ask to meet him face to face, not just asking, but almost begging. And Jeff said, yes, soon he flew to Montana to meet Carrie stands over bowl. Hmm. So weird last name stands over bowl. That's one word. That's not like two yeah. different words. Stands over bowl. Stands over bowl. Yeah. Wow. Carrie grew up in the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana as a part of a close-knit family who was also there for each other. While the Stansover Bulls did not have much money and the life in the Crow Reservation could be harsh at times due to the unforgiving weather and land, in addition to lack of job opportunities, it seemed like for Carrie, the family was all that she needed. She was especially close to her younger brothers, Patrick and Isaiah. Hmm. Carrie had tried her best to start her own family. She had been married before and had several children with her husband. However, in the end, things didn't work out. And by 2014, 39-year-old Carrie was a divorced single mother, solely responsible for raising her children. She was living in a rundown apartment building in Billings, which is not necessarily the best place for children to grow up. Their area is known for troublemakers, as Billings Police Chief Rich St. John said. The police, quote, the police have gone there numerous times primarily for disturbances family issues looking for runaways things like that end quote and that's from uh police chief rich st john yeah and this is in montana on the indian reservation right Mm-hmm. carrie who lived on welfare and food stamps and did not have much to offer to her family dreamed about finding a man who would take care of her However, it seemed like it was an impossible task to find a man like that locally. And so Carrie turned to online chat rooms and dating websites. Do you know what platform they used? I'm just curious. Uh, it was Bumble. And no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> this is, I don't think was Bumble a thing in 2015. I don't know. I mean, Drew and I met on Bumble and we met in 2017. And I feel like it had been around for at least a couple years by then. So I don't know. My guess is yes, but I don't know. Maybe it had. It was probably yeah. like brand new or something. Also, it doesn't Bumble and Tinder like location, so you'd have to like go way out of. Broad. You can set your radius to like across the country if you want. Yeah, you get to okay. choose your radius, or at least at yeah, that so time you, you did something yeah. similar. Yeah, online dating. I'm so glad I didn't have to do that, but I'm glad that it's there an option. It just seems really scary. <laughs> as a true crime fan <laughs> i'm just like i was oh. always a true crime fan and 
I did try online dating, which was scary, but I was always very careful. Like I never had guys pick me up at my house for the first date, always met them in public places, you know, like all the night. Every paranoid true crime person like who knows things like the rules that I needed to follow, I followed. I mean, Drew literally had to (laughs) it was like the era where Drew was trying to be a gentleman trying to come pick me up at my condo. And I was like, all right, I'll just give you the general area, but not like my unit number in case things don't go very well. Right. Um, But yeah, so I followed all the rules. So, yeah, it can be scary meeting strangers for sure. Weird. I mean, it's such a good thing to have because nowadays it's really hard to meet people, especially now since like 2020, but even before, because we're such a, so like online, everything's online. So it's good to have, I mean, both you and our, um, our brother and sister-in-law met online. So. Yeah. I mean, online dating was probably the only way I was, I was never the girl who was going to go into a bar and strike up a conversation. I mean, you know me, that was never going to be me. Right. <laughs> I, was gonna be I like, can't really see. Why are you? I can't really see Drew doing that either. I feel like Drew would. I feel like he would. I don't think I ever would entertain it because I think Drew would. I mean, he's I feel like he's more sociable that way when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a purpose. Um, but like for me, I was never like going to bar socialize. Like I'm so awkward. No, it would never work. <laughs> okay. So going, jumping back to the story. So they were talking online and soon Carrie began to exchange messages with a 37 year old welder from New Mexico named Jeffrey Christopher Hewitt. Mm. As said before, Carrie and Jeff talked with each other for a few weeks before she asked him to come for a visit. And when Jeff did, the two realized their chemistry was even stronger in person, as Lenora said. Quote, they were hitting it off. He loved her children. He was really happy that he had children and that they just got along really well. End quote. Wait, so he brought his kids to Montana to see like if the family aspect vibed or how does he know? I'm assuming that she let him meet his her kids, but did he bring his kids too? Yeah, eventually they do move in together in Montana and he brings the children. Yeah. Oh, okay. Love and affection were all that Jeff ever wanted from a woman just to be with someone who accepted him for who he was. And that is exactly what Jeff thought he had with Carrie. In turn, it seemed that Carrie was happy too and thought she had finally found the one. Things were going so great. In fact, that in 2014, Jeff returned home just for a moment to get everything in order and then he planned to move in with Carrie and her children. For Carrie, Jeff was a knight in shining armor. He did not just give love and affection, but also provided for the family. Jeff was a skilled worker, and again, it was easy for him to find a job after moving to Montana. After a couple of months of living with Carrie, Jeff told his family that he felt like he had found a place where he could live for a long time, and that he had finally found the perfect partner, Jeff's mother said. Wow. He said that he fell in, she said that he fell in love with her head over heels, and he wanted to marry her. And in late 2014, Jeff popped the question and proposed to Carrie, who immediately said yes. Wow. So at this point, they'd been dating just for like a few months, right? Because they met in 2014 or did they meet in 2013? I can't remember now. Timeline's off for me. Right. They met, I think, yeah, in 2014. I don't think they were together that long. Okay, yeah. So he's popping the question in less than a year. Right. right. She said yes. Yep. She said yes. 
The happy couple could begin to plan their wedding, and Jeff was eager to make the promise to his one true love, till death do us part. Sadly, yeah, for that right. day would come... I said for, for right. right. For real. Yeah. <laughs> for right. Sadly, that day would come much sooner than Jeff imagined. <clears throat> for him, anyway. Yeah. On April 15, 2015, in Bighorn County, Montana, a rancher was out walking with his dogs when suddenly the dogs were distracted by something. As a man walked closer to see what it was, he initially thought somebody had burned some trash on his property. But as he kneeled to take a deep, a better look, the rancher realized to his horror that that badly blackened object was not a piece of garbage, but a human torso. This man jerky. Gross. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in it. That, that like popped into my head and I was like, I'm just going to say it. I don't care how people react. I'm just going to say Gross. it. The head was missing. The head was missing. And so were most of the limbs. Both legs had been cut off from the thighs and one arm had been removed. Mm. Ooh. After recovering from the initial shock, the rancher called the police. As the investigators then arrived at the scene, it was immediately clear that finding out what had happened was not necessarily going to be an easy task. Sometimes murder victims go unidentified for long periods of time, even if their bodies have been recovered as a whole. Trying to find out who this person was based just on their torso is a whole different story. The remains were also so badly decomposed, it was hard to tell the torso was at some point part of a human being. Oh my gosh. Still, there were some things the investigators were able to figure out. This is going back to your first question. First of all, it did seem like the victim was a male. Second, this definitely was not the result of any kind of accident. Somebody had gone to great length trying to hide the body in a remote rural area and destroy any evidence of what they had done. The lack of blood suggested that the victim had been killed elsewhere, but at this point it was impossible to determine the cause of death. One of the legs was found not far from the torso, and it seemed possible that animals had been responsible for its removal. However, the head was nowhere to be found. Mm. Then the investigators noticed an interesting clue, a tattoo. De- Detective Jim Gartner said, The body had a tattoo on its back across its shoulders. It was burned so that it couldn't be read completely, but some of the letters were written in script, and it was E-W-I-T-T. That right there was a major lead, a partial name. At this point, which I kind of, I mean, no hate on him, but I don't think I'd have my last name on my body, but. I don't know. I never know. Maybe it was like his dad had passed and he wanted to remember him Mm. or, you know, could be anything. True. I actually, I actually have a name tattooed on me, a family (laughs) member, not my name, but their name. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it was like to remember someone by, you know. Right. At this point, the remains were transported to a medical examiner for the autopsy. Meanwhile, the police tried to develop possible theories of what had happened. One of the first ones was the idea that the murder has something to do with drugs, which often caused problems in this area. Pretty much all homicides that had happened in the Crow Indian Reservation were drug-related one way or the other. On top of that, the investigators immediately noticed eerie similarities between this murder and another that happened in the past. It was one of those, quote, I have seen this before moments. 
The previous case was a headless torso that had been found in Wyoming. And after arrest, the law enforcement learned the killing had been cartel related. So could the reservation torso be something similar? Perhaps a result of a conflict between two gangs. If someone wanted to make a point, a dismembered birding torso definitely was one way of doing it. Another theory was that maybe the torso belonged to a Native American man who went missing in a snow blizzard back in 2013 after his car broke down. His head was later found, but the rest of his body was never located. Oh, interesting. Meanwhile, as the investigators were also checking... Also kind of sad that there's like all these unsolved cases that they're trying to relate them to and it's not going to be any of them and we're never going to get find out like whatever happened I know, with that right? Indian, Native, Amer- Native Indian guy like who whose head was found. Like how sad. I know, that's so family. strange too. If you're like go out and it's a blizzard, your car breaks down, but then your head was gone. Like that yeah. seems like foul play, definitely. It seems like an interesting story I'd want to dig into, but for another time. Yeah. Anyways, right. so yeah, they think it's a cartel, could be this Native American guy. Right. As the investigators were checking these two theories, another clue was found at the crime scene, a coupon mailer. This item had been used as kindling to help start the fire to burn the body. Oh, I bet there's an address on it. However, the coupon mailer had not burned too badly and an address was on it. Yes. <laughs> was still clear enough for the investigators to read. That address See, was located. still being dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, other than a few of you, there really are not many smart ones out there. Of all the precautions, like, can you imagine, like, cut the head off, cut the limbs off, somewhere burned, burned it. it. Go out in the your woods. address? You use something with your address on it to burn I, the body? I know. Stupid. God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, still, be dumb all you want so it's easy to catch you guys. But come on. Like, this is just stupidity at this point. Anyways. Right. Okay. Or like, make stay it. and make sure everything's burnt. Yeah. For real. That's kind of morbid, but should. Yeah. That address should. was located approximately <laughs> 28 miles away in Billings, the apartment of Dun dun dun! Carrie stands over bowl. Oh, that was enough. That was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for the law enforcement to obtain a search warrant for Carrie's apartment on April twenty first, twenty fifteen. Which it really isn't that long. What was that? Fifteen to twenty one, less than a week. Yeah, that's really fast. Yeah, oh, six days. Am I counting right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which actually kind of makes me happy. They're the investigation could have thought that this was like a person of color and they still continued to work hard on it. So that makes me happy. Right. The investigators did not find anything suggesting a murder had taken place, but they did find a wallet and that wallet belonged to Jeffrey Hewitt. Hewitt. (laughs) The investigators put two and two together. The tattoo on the back of the burned torso spelled E-W-I-T-T Meaning Jeff was the most likely victim. She didn't file a missing person report, not- did she? <laughs> Probably not, no. <laughs> not long after, a DNA test confirmed that the remains found in the Crow Indian Reservation Canyon were those of Jeffrey Hewitt. Next, Carrie was questioned about her relationship with Jeff. And surprisingly, she told the police that they had broken up a couple months ago. And Jeff had moved. Back to California. Broken up, weren't Even they Even though just if Broken up means divorced. So she's claiming they're divorced. Right. Well, I mean. separated. Th- yeah, they probably. That's what she's saying. They could be separated mm. and who knows. 
And I think this is right before their wedding, or did they get married? I can't remember. I don't know. Now. He'd popped the question, but we never really figured out if they actually got married. Anyway, so she says they're broken up. He's living back in California. So how does Body get here? Right. Carrie, Miss Stans Overbowl. Yeah. <laughs> Stans Overbowl. It's such a weird name. Sorry if your name's that. Don't. No shame on you. Just on Carrie. Uh, so, yeah, so they she said they broke up and he went to California. Okay. Even though just a few months before they had been planning their wedding, Just Fit Emily also did not have any knowledge of him moving back or even been missing. Lenora had just thought her son was busy with work as she had not been hearing from him for a while. Just family has something else to tell the police, too. According to them, after Jeff and Carrie got engaged, their re- relationship began to fall apart. Apparently, Carrie was only interested in Jeff's money, which she took to herself and constantly bossed her fiancé around. Allegedly, the situation got so bad that Jeff, who still loved Carrie and her children, was thinking of calling off the wedding and leaving Montana, Lenora said. The last time I talked to him, he says, he was whispering to me. She would monitor the phone calls and he says, Mom, it's bad here. In turn, Carrie claimed the real reason she and Jeff broke up was that he had become physically abusive, even towards the children. This kind of behavior then angered Carrie's friends, as Detective Jim Gardner said. They were under the impression that he was beating on her and her children, and this made them mad. There was often alcohol involved in this, and it would cause these people to want to beat on Jeff. Oh, God. So that's what Carrie's saying. So she's saying Carrie he said was physically she did- abusive, and that's why we broke up but also my friends were pretty pretty pissed about him beating me and my kids and so they would often get drunk and use him as a punching bag correct so naturally the police are like well who are your friends carrie said she did not know what happened to jeff and did not tell the police the names of the people she believed had hurt him Police then interviewed Carrie and Jeff's neighbors, who said that they were constant parties in their apartment with a continuous stream of visitors day in and day in and night out. Carrie's younger brother, Patrick, was one of them. Patrick was also interviewed, and he openly told the police about Jeff and his sister's problems, saying they were often fighting and Carrie was usually the aggressor. <laughs> he also said that Jeff was fatally beaten a month before his torso was found by Carrie and a group of men. What the heck? I have so many questions. A, I don't know about other people, but usually a person who's abusing another person, if there is a strong support system around the person that they're abusing and they come to their defense and beat them, they don't stick around or usually there's like some sort of a plan to get them out it's weird to me that the resolution here was i'm gonna go beat on this person beating on my friend and her kids and not like get her out of that house that's weird to me one right and two right why is the brother's story like not corroborating his sister's story i'm not saying don't tell the truth but it's weird to me that carrie is telling such a weird thing that can easily be proven or disproven you know what i mean like Right. Anyways, so okay, right. they, they, he tells. Well, she's not smart, and she's just trying to clearly cover her tracks, using obviously. her coupon mailer with her address on it to burn. <laughs> it just gets worse. Anyways, so yeah, the pat. So Patrick's like, no, Carrie was the aggressor, and she often was like picking fights, and not to mention he was beaten very badly, like a month before his body was found. Okay. 
Right. By Carrie and a group of oh, men. God. And how did Patrick know this? That's what police want to know. Because Patrick was one of the men. Because Carrie had called him and Isaiah to help her dispose of oh, the God. body. Dispose of the body. So he was so his, dead. Yeah. He said fatally beaten. But what do you mean by dispose so, yeah, of they the beat body? <laughs> they fatally beat him. They beat him to death. So he's admitting he to murder? Like he's admitting. He's not saying. He's saying that his sister called him after the body, after they had killed him, but Carrie and this group of men. And it was to help Carrie dispose of the body. I don't know why she couldn't have the group of yeah, men do like, it. I was like, what the heck? So these she, people can beat him up, but she, can't move a body? It's weird. Mm. And then they call, yeah, they Patrick call and um, Isaiah. her brother, Isaiah. Yeah. Okay. So instead of calling the police, Patrick and Isaiah had driven to Carrie's apartment and tried to dismember Jeff's body with a oh chainsaw. God, tried? But, That's not a good word. But the chainsaw broke. They had then finished a job with an axe before taking the pieces to the canyon and setting them on fire. Apparently, Carrie wrapped Jeff's head in a tarp and dumped it in another location. Patrick's statement was later verified by Isaiah, and he did more than just that. As prosecutor Ed Zink said, Isaiah was instrumental in cooperating with detectives, telling them not only about some of the tools, such as a chainsaw and an axe, that were used to mutilate Jeffrey's body. He actually led investigators to where those items were hidden. Oh, God. Thanks to Isaiah, the investigators were also able to finally recover Jeff's head, which had a jaw broken. Oh, my God. Carrie stands. I'm so interested to know what the fuck happened for her to do this to this person. I know. And unfortunately, we're never going to oh find out. Oh, my God. We never find out? No. <sighs> Carrie Stansover Bull was arrested in January 2017 and charged with deliberate It took homicide. them two years? Aggravated. Two years after all this yeah, you know. Yeah, you know how this shit goes. Wow. Okay. She probably pled not guilty, and then they had to go to trial. That's my guess. Wow. Um, with deliberate homicide, aggravated assault, and tampering with evidence. Her brother, Patrick Stansover Bull, was charged with aggravated assault and a tampering with evidence. The police believe that at least five people participated in beating Jeff Hewitt in Carrie's apartment and leaving him in a back room severely injured until he died. But only Carrie and Patrick have been arrested for the crime. Carrie eventually pleaded guilty to ne- negligent homicide, aggravated assault by accountability, and two counts of tampering with evidence. In October 2017, she was sentenced to 40 years in prison and must pay over $10,000 in fines and restitution. That's it? $10,000. That's it. For taking someone's life. And 40 years in jail. Yeah. That <sighs> killed me. Also. But she, she's 39. 39, so 40. 79. She'll be almost 80. That's almost 80. If yeah. there's no parole. I, don't, I can't remember if he said without the possibility of parole or not. Um, but I don't understand how it, well, a, it took them two years, but your guess is probably right. She probably pe- pleaded not guilty and then they had to go to trial. And then, man, I can't believe she never gave up the other five men. I know. Also, what happened to Jeff's kids? Please tell me they're okay. <laughs> what happened to Jeff's kids? Were they okay? Uh, they probably went to his mom, the, the mom, the ch- kid's mom. Okay. Patrick pleaded guilty to two felony counts of tampering with evidence and one misdemeanor count of assault. In January 2018, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Isaiah has never been charged related to Jeff Hewitt's death. The case has remained open ever since because, like you, they want to know why and who are these other five men. Yeah. 
Makes sense. To this day, we do not know for sure why Jeff died. Carrie had told her own version, claiming her fiancé was abusive. In turn, Jeff told his family Carrie was controlling and used him just for money. Nevertheless, in either case, no one deserved to be beaten up and left to die. Jeffrey Hewitt's only wish in life was to find a person with whom he could spend the rest of his life. His search for love just cut that life much shorter. And that is my story. The story is not boding well for online dating. <laughs> and that's my story today. <laughs> and as true crime fans, I'm pretty sure any story we do about online dating, it's not going to be a good one. Oh, that's true. If a story about online dating makes it to our podcast, that's probably not a good one. But you have testimony from me and, well, our my other sister-in-law who've met the two our husbands online so that's good news i mean i have other testimonies so don't 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 back away from online right just just be careful precautions but even then like they were together anyways well i think that's it it for today and um have a great night guys we'll see you next week with a drink in hand yes see you next week with a drink in hand good night don't let the murder thoughts bite bye